Good morning, Redemption. My hero is a pizza delivery guy. I don't know if you saw this last month, but Nicholas Bostic, 25 years old, was making a pizza delivery and on his route, and he saw a stranger's house on fire. So he jumps out, he runs towards the house, he's on the front yard, he starts kind of screaming to see if anyone yells back inside, and no one does, no one responds, but he just feels in his gut like someone might be inside. So he runs not away from the house, but runs into the house. He kind of goes around through the back screen door, he gets inside, he's searching through the rooms, and he finds four children. He kind of escorts them, gets them safely out of the house to the front yard, but then they tell him, hey, our six-year-old sister is still inside. So this guy goes back in. Now, at this point, the house is fully engulfed in flames, yet he runs into the raging inferno, and he realizes, okay, she must not be downstairs, so he realizes he has to go upstairs, and he can already see the smoke billowing upstairs and all the different stuff going on, so he actually gets up his courage, and he runs up the stairs. He puts his shirt over his face to protect him from the smoke. He is looking upstairs. He can't see with the shirt over his face, so he's calling out, where are you, where are you? And he hears her responses, her calls. He goes, and he finds her, and he gets her. Now he's got her, but he realizes we can't go back downstairs because the whole downstairs is engulfed in flames. And so he picks her up, wraps her in his arms, and he jumps out from the second story window, turning his body to land backwards on his shoulder to protect her and cushion her from the fall. He gets out with a broken shoulder, smoke all in his lungs, burns on his body with the paramedics and the fire crew are now there and they're taking care of him. But all he can say is, is she okay? Is she okay? Is she okay? And she was. This guy ended up saving all five of those children's lives. As one of the journalists put it who was reporting on the story, not all heroes wear capes. I want to ask this morning, where do you find the courage to run into the battle rather than away from it? To not ignore the raging inferno, the fire, the house on fire in front of you, but to actually step in and tackle its threat head on. Where do we find the courage to not live in fear, even when real danger is present, but to do the right thing, even when it's hard? Well, we're looking at a famous story of courage this morning. It's the story of David and Goliath. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can turn there and get ready now. Uh, But the story of David and Goliath, it is a famous story. It's probably one of the most top five well-known Bible stories out there. But that familiarity we have with it, we can miss how crazy it is. This is the story of an unexpected hero like a pizza delivery guy, like David is actually just supposed to be out delivering food to his brothers, and yet he shows up and he sees a threat. It is like Israel's house is on fire with a mighty warrior threatening the children of God. And David, he doesn't run away in fear. He doesn't ignore it and say, hey, it's not my problem. No, David runs toward the problem. He breaks through every obstacle in his way. He has to run through, as we're going to see, he has to run through his brothers. He has to run through uh, the soldiers. He has to run through even King Saul in order to get to Goliath. Yet David, he takes up his courage and he takes down the giant. Title for the message this morning is Take Courage. We're going to look at how to take courage to tackle the obstacles and dangers in our lives today. So let's pick up 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 1. We read, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succah and Azekah and Ephes, I mean, I don't know how to pronounce these things, but... 
And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. All right, first thing we want to take note of here, the author is pointing to where this is taking place, the Valley of Elah, and this location is significant. This is the last portion of the promised land yet to be taken. And so what he's saying here is going, what began generations ago back with Joshua is now finding its fulfillment here with David. David is fulfilling what Joshua began. The conquest of the promised land is ending here. This is the consummation. That's kind of the significance of this battle. And it's interesting because Goliath and David seem to each represent their peoples who have come before them. Goliath looks like a lot like Canaan has looked like throughout the last few books of Joshua and Judges and beginning of Samuel, where the cowers in Canaan, they are well-armed to the teeth. They have defensive fortresses like Jericho. They've got chariots and horses and all the best weapons and armor. They look a lot like Goliath. And the people are afraid to go into the land saying they're giants. They're so huge compared to us. They're marching in like ants under elephants' feet. And yet, David looks a lot like Israel in his shepherd's clothes, right? And his sling and his stone that David looks a lot like Israel has looked like, where we're told uh, that Israel is still wearing the same ratty clothes they've been wandering around in the desert with for 40 years as they step into the promised land. And it's not like there was a stockpile of AK-47s waiting for them out in the wilderness after they left Egypt, right? They're going up against the mightiest imperial powerhouses of Egypt and Canaan, and they've got the equivalent of like sticks and stones. And so the author is trying to help us see this battle we're about to see. It's actually the consummation and David and Goliath, they're almost like archetypes of everything that's come before representing their people in this showdown. Let's pick up in verse four, it says, there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. It's a little over nine feet tall, so this dude's been eating his Wheaties, right? It says, he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's around 120 pounds, so it's wearing a 120-pound jacket of armor on him. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. It's like 15 pounds. He's got 15 pounds just on the tip of his spear. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Uh, am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. That's my Thanos voice right here. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It is easy to be afraid when you have a big, bad enemy. Goliath is a big, bad enemy. He is a nine-foot-tall giant with bronze armor all over his body, his arms, his legs, his head. He is a walking fortress. He's probably thus around three to four feet taller than your average Israelite soldier, which means they would, any of them would feel like Muggsy Bogues going up against Manute Bull in this encounter. Right? <laughs> Now, interesting, it says that he is wearing a coat of mail. And I think you and I, we hear coat of mail, and we tend to think like medieval knight, like the chain mail of the medieval era. But actually, in this day and age, like the coat of mail was scales. And so scholars say that these scales would have looked like uh, the scales of a serpent. 
that he is coated in this coat of mail. He looks like a giant serpent, a bronze dragon. This is playing on the serpent theme, like Genesis 3, the serpent in the garden, like Moses lifting up the bronze snake in the wilderness. Goliath is a dragon, a mighty, boastful, oppressive enemy who is in God's good garden of the promised land. And the question is, where is the new Adam who will step up to crush the head of the serpent? Well, it's not Saul. Saul and the soldiers we read, they are dismayed, it says, and they are afraid. Um, and you can imagine their fear. They, they've been out there for 40 days, we're told. And so you can imagine if dude, they, soldiers, they haven't seen their families in weeks and they don't know if they're ever gonna see them again. They're imagining the blood that's gonna be on the battlefield when the fighting really begins. And I imagine that soldier, they can't imagine that someday little kids are gonna be sitting cross-legged looking at the scene on a flannel graph, right? <laughs> Can you feel the fear of the moment? And Saul, we read, is afraid. And this is interesting because Saul was supposed to be Israel's champion. He was the king who was chosen because they wanted him because he was taller, head and shoulders above everyone else. He was their Goliath. He was their giant. And the king was supposed to lead his people into battle to represent them. But he sees this great bronze dragon, this mighty giant warrior in the valley, and he shrinks back in fear. He's afraid. And after his lead, so are all the people with him. It's easy to be afraid when we face a big, bad enemy. Fear is a natural human response to danger. If you see a bear in the woods, for example, your heart starts beating faster. Your body pumps out like adrenaline and cortisol. Your body actually essentially starts pushing blood away from your heart and towards your limbs. And what it's doing, your body is getting you ready for fight or flight, to be ready to, to fight if you need to with your limbs or to use them to run and flee. Your body is warning you, danger is present. And it's easy to be afraid when we have a big, bad enemy, when all we can see around us are the odds that seem overwhelming, forces that seem bigger than we know what to do with. And when we see all the challenges facing God's people today, you know, you and I, we like to think that we're like David, but I find that, man, so often we can be way more like Saul and the soldiers, right? Like to hear at times people talk today in our nation and our culture, you know, as, as Christians talk, sometimes it sounds like, man, just look at the numbers, like the church is declining and it's declining. I don't know how we're going to make this. And there are all these big, bad challenges. There's secularism is becoming, things are becoming more and more secular. And man, everybody and their mother is deconstructing. And then there's the new Buzz Lightyear movie. And what are we going to do? It's all so crazy. Ah, you know? And we can forget that Jesus said he has established his kingdom and even the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. So Jesus says, take heart, take courage, because yes, in this world, you will have trouble and tribulation. He says, but I have overcome the world. Jesus calls us to take courage, even in the face of things that seem scary. Now, the challenges that you might be facing, that we can face are not only cultural, they can also be personal for some of you right now, you're facing the Goliath of a marriage that's falling apart, and you don't know how you're going to be able to make it out to the other side in one piece. Others of you are facing the challenge of a cancer that's eating away at your body, and like Goliath, it's mocking you, saying that God is not with you. God has left you. For 
Some of you, it's the loneliness of finding yourself alone and just going, this, the, the, the voices in your own head. It's not just the voices of other people, the voice in your own head that can feel like, I don't know what I'm going to do in this moment, God. I don't know what I'm going to do in these circumstances because it all just seems so overwhelming and so much bigger than I can manage on my own strength. Where do we find courage? Where do we find boldness? In those moments where the odds seem overwhelming, and the forces that we're going up against seem so much bigger than we know how to handle on our own strength. Well, <clears throat> we're going to pick up in verse 17 here. And David's uh, older brothers, in between this, they are out at the battle. Uh, but David, he is the runt. He's the youngest brother. So dude, they don't even consider him he, to even be, let's keep him at home. He shouldn't even be out there, they're thinking. So they have him out taking care of the sheep. And how does he actually get to the battle? Well, we read in verse 17, it says, And Jesse, that's his dad, he said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and bring some token for them. So David, he's just bringing the bread and cheese, right? He's the pizza delivery boy. I don't know if they had tomato sauce back then, but he's just like supposed to be carrying the food to them, kind of find out what's going on and bring the report back to his dad. But he gets to the battle and he sees Goliath doing his thing and David steps forward to take action. Let's pick up in verse 24 where it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid from Goliath. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So they're saying, man, if anybody gets this guy, the king's gonna, he's going to get Bitcoin, he's going to get the princess, and he's going to get a mansion, right? And not even that has been enough to motivate anyone because of how scared and afraid they are. David said to the man who stood by him, what should be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Essentially, like he's saying, who is this unbaptized pagan, <clears throat> this unbaptized pagan, this outsider to the people of God? He goes on that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is it not but a word? I love that. He's just like, can't a guy say anything around here? Right? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. One challenge to courage is having your motives attacked. David has his motives attacked here. He shows up on the scene. He sees what's going on. He steps forward to, to try and move forward towards it. But before he gets to Goliath, he's got to get through his older brother. Now, his oldest brother, Eliab, he's the oldest of eight, and David is the youngest of eight. So there's probably around 15 to 20 years difference between them. And uh, kids tend to have a respect for their, their oldest sibling. And not only that, though, in the ancient Near East, the firstborn, the oldest brother, he was like the top dog. Other than dad, he was like ruler of the roost, right? And so David's got his older brother, someone he probably looks up to, attacking his motives. And say, David, I know, I know why you're really here. I know what you're up to. You're presumptuous. You're presumptuous. He's going, dude, you're not a soldier. You're the Uber Eats driver. So drop off our food and get back out to the sheep and do your thing. So well, who do you think you 
are, David, being out here like this. And he goes on, he says, I know the evil of your heart. He's attacking David's motives. But here's the trick is that we actually know what's in David's heart. If you've been following the story in just the last chapter, God said, man is looking at outward appearances, but I'm looking at the heart and God likes what he sees in David's heart. God is saying, I see David, or even earlier in 1 Samuel 13, God says, David is a man after my own heart. He sees him worshiping in the fields. He sees him trusting God in the quiet places, in the hidden places. David, God knows David's heart. He knows his motives. I think it's interesting. I, I can imagine that Eliab here is speaking out of his own insecurities because his little brother's courage is throwing a spotlight in contrast on his own lack of it, right? On his own fear. But David faces this question, I'm going, am I going to listen to what my older brother says about me? Or am I going to listen to what God says about me? In order to take up courage, sometimes we have to get through people questioning our motives. So this was the story of Florence Nightingale. Uh, before she became the Lady of the Lamp, before she founded the modern nursing movement and totally impacted the world, before that, she had a safe and comfortable life. I thought it was interesting reading about her life a while back, finding that she came from a wealthy family with leisure and parties. And for years, she felt the call to the front lines of the Crimean War. That was her Goliath to go to the war because she knew that thousands of soldiers were dying unnecessarily from wounds and diseases that could be easily treated, but there was no medical care out on the battlefield. And so when she told her family about her dream to take on the Goliath of this war, they took her ambition as an indictment on their own lack of ambition. Her father called her spoiled and ungrateful. Her mother said, you're going to disgrace yourself. And those closest to her said, it would be unsuitable, unbecoming, and dreadful. She wrote in her diary how, saying, I was treated as if I had committed a crime. What a murderer am I to disturb their happiness? What am I that their life is not good enough for me? How presumptuous, in essence, she's saying. And for years, for around a decade, this worked. She had felt this call for so long, but the, having her motives questioned and attacked by those close to her led to her not stepping into it. Her most difficult obstacle to overcome was not a fear of the front lines. It was the fear of her family. And eventually she would find her courage and she would go out and she would change the world. She saved the lives of thousands of soldiers during the war. She, she radically transformed what became the modern nursing movement, things like the Red Cross. And if you have been cared for in a hospital these days, like you've experienced the impact and influence of what she did. But first, she had to overcome her motives being attacked. Sometimes I think the greatest thing that can keep you from Courage is when people question your motives, attack uh, your, your, your heart and what is going on. And just like David, before you get to Goliath, sometimes you have to get through your older brother, right? And like, I wonder if for some of you, it's not an older brother, but it's a father who spoke words of curse rather than blessing, and they still feel like shackles that hold you back today. Maybe for others of you, it's actually words that were spoken by a spouse, like an ex who walked away and communicated a message that you're not worth fighting for. And those wounds are still keeping you from stepping into God's calling on your life. For some of you, it might not be anything like that. Some of you, it could be the voice in your own head, those little voices on your shoulder that are whispering, you're not good enough. God's not with you. God's not for you. There's nothing you can do. You're on your own. And so we shrink back 
from stepping boldly forth in courage because we're listening to all these voices other than God's. And yet there's a trick that I want to show you that I think can help us, that David exemplifies here in verse 30. I love this where it says, And David, he turned away from him, Eliab, toward another, and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. David turned away from those voices and spoke to another. I believe there are some of us this morning who need to turn away from those who are speaking fear into your life and turn toward those who would speak faith into your life. There's some of you who need to turn away from those who would try and be dragging you down to their level and turn towards those who are seeking to lift you up towards God. Now, I'm not saying here that we don't need people to speak into our lives. Sometimes we need our motives confronted. Sometimes we need our heart checked. But I'm talking about people who like Eliab, where it's coming more out of their own insecurity and it's causing or leading you into disobedience to what God has for you. It's calling you to not step into the holiness of the kind of life God wants you to live before him. It's calling you to not step out and with the courage to live a life of justice and holiness and and love, a bold, courageous love that lives in light of the gospel, trusting God in the midst of the threats that you're facing. I believe that there are some of you this morning who need to step into community. Our community launch classes in two weeks, it's be August 21st and 28th. And this is a great opportunity. The goal of this is to surround ourselves with people who would speak faith into our lives rather than fear. To have an intimate context, a community where we could be gathering not about what some others have said about you, but around God's word and what God says about you. And that together we could build ourselves up with the courage to live boldly before God. Let's go to verse 31. And now we've seen these obstacles to courage, having your motives attacked and seeing the bigness of the enemy. But now let's see how to take up courage. Verse 31, read that when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul's got a point. If I'm Saul, I'm probably going, why should I let this young kid go out and take on the giant? Like, if he loses, we all lose. And so David's got to convince him why he should let him go. And David says this, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. I love that. He's grabbing, catching that bear by the beard. And I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David convinces him. You can take confidence in your future when you see God's faithfulness in your past. You can take confidence, you can take up courage and have confidence for your future when you look back and you see and you remember God's faithfulness in your past. That's what David does here. The reason David has such courage is because he has experienced 
God's faithfulness in his past, and he recalls this and remembers this before Saul. He talks about these lions and bears and going, there were times when I was herding the sheep and a lion came or a bear came and it got one of them and I, I didn't ignore the problem. I didn't run away from the problem. I said, that's not my problem. I said, I'm a shepherd. So I got my sling and my stone and I ran after it. And if the sling didn't work, I went and I grabbed it by the beard and I knocked it, you know, and I, I took it out. And the Lord delivered me. Notice, it says, God delivered me. He did it then, he can do it again. God has been faithful in my past, so I can trust him in my present. Now, if I had to choose between Goliath and a bear, I might just choose Goliath, right? Like, I don't know how many of you have seen the the six-minute scene in The Revenant. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's, man, this crazy scene where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, he gets attacked for six minutes by this bear, just mauled by this bear. And it's like this scene where it's like, um, based on a true story, Hugh Glass, this 1800s frontiersman. Uh, but man, I won't describe it because it's brutal. But if you've seen it, you know. And it's just, I'm looking at that and going, if I got to choose between that or Goliath, I, I may just well go with Goliath, right? Like if I have to choose between fighting Mike Tyson and his prime, and that bear in The Revenant, I'm gonna go with Mike Tyson, right? Like he might take, might take off a bit of my ear, but that guy's gonna take off my limbs, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, God has been training and preparing David for this moment all his life. David has experienced the deliverance of God, delivering the bear into his hands and the lion into his hands. And now because he remembers that past experience of God's faithfulness, he looks, he goes, this is just the next on the block. He's going down. David has this confidence. He shows us that the way that you and I, we can take up courage is by remembering God's faithfulness to us. David's experience with God shaped his confidence and his courage. Similarly, for you and I, you can take confidence and courage for your future when you remember God's faithfulness in in your past. One of the things that we need to do is we need to remember, we need to recall our stories, we need to share our stories, celebrate like David does with Saul, to tell each other, do you know what God did in my life back then? And we need to remind ourselves, God, the wounds that you met and healed, the addiction that you broke out of my life, the things that you came, you came and met me, Jesus, in my darkest valley, and you broke the chains off, and you liberated me for yourself, and because of what you have done, in my past, I can trust you with my future. You can take courage for your future when you remember what God has done in your past. This also means that we don't just need good doctrine about God. We need good experience with God, right? We need to experience the faithfulness of God in our lives by bringing the fullness of our lives before him and saying, God, I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you and to experience you in all of my life. And it's that experience in the quiet places. And nobody saw David when he was out in the fields worshiping God with his harp or mini guitar, whatever he was doing. Nobody saw him when he was going after that lion and that bear. But David was practicing faithfulness in the quiet places so that he could then step boldly into faithfulness in the public places, right? Because David had experienced the faithfulness of God in the places where no one else, Saul didn't see, the soldiers didn't see, no one else was looking, but God saw and God saw. And because David experienced God's faithfulness there, he was able to take confidence and run towards the problem with courage here. One of the ways that we take courage 
as we remember and we celebrate God's faithfulness in our past. There's another way the passage shows us as well, another tool for taking up courage. Let's pick up in verse 38. So then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Uh, David strapped his sword over his armor. Saul's trying to make him like a mini Goliath. And David, he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. David's like, I'm going to go with what I know. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He's a pretty boy. And the Philistine, he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He's just saying, I'm going to fight on behalf of my gods. Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, no, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. In the Christian life, our courage comes from knowing you have a secret weapon. You have a secret weapon. There are many kind of classic secret weapons out there. You got James Bond 007 with his watch that fires lasers. You got like the penguin with Batman, you know, his umbrella that can fire bullets. But David here, he has a secret weapon. He knows that God will fight for him. David's secret weapon is God. Goliath is using language here saying, I will fight for my gods. But David says, in, in contrast, he says, God will fight for me. Five times here, David emphasizes God's deliverance saying, in this, just this paragraph here saying, the Lord will deliver me. The Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. I come at you in the name of the Lord. He will give you into my hand. David is echoing here what was to be Israel's battle cry throughout this whole history in the promised land, which we find in Psalm 20. Uh, that some trust in chariots and some in horses, which were like the tanks and the AK-47s in the ancient world. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, it's interesting here. Saul tries to dress David in his armor. says he put kind of the sword and the helmet and the coat of mail on him. And I imagine David in this like Ralphie in a Christmas story, if you remember, where his mom's trying to get him ready for school. He's like, I can't move. And David's like, this stuff doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So I'm taking it off. I'm going to go with what I know. David picks up his sling and his stone going, I'm not going to fight Goliath's battle on Goliath's terms. I'm coming at him with a secret weapon, the God of Israel. David said, God has already given me what I need, the sling and the stone. David's just going, I don't need your firefighter suit. I've got my pizza delivery outfit. I've got enough with what I've got because I've got a secret weapon, the God of the universe who fights for me. Now, uh, me and my kids, we were swimming this last week in the pool, and 
Uh, and I was kind of outside the pool watching, but uh, two of my, my two boys, they were ganging up on my daughter. And so they were kind of coming up on her. They had those big, you know, Nerf or whatever, the big foam roller things, you know, and they're like, we're going to get you. And my daughter was like saying, no, I have a secret weapon. And they were like, what? Because what they hadn't seen was I had slipped into the pool and was kind of sneaking up behind them, right? <laughs> and so, oh, no, 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 I'm coming up, right? And they don't know this, though. And so my daughter, she's facing me. She can see me. And she's like, I have a secret weapon. And they're like, you've got nothing in your hand. And she's like, no, I got a secret weapon. They're like, what are you talking about? And they're coming in, like, towards her, like, I've got a secret weapon. And just as they're about to strike, I get him, I, you know, I tickle him, and I put him under the water, and, ah, and whatever. I won, right? She won. They won. <laughs> but here's the thing. Her secret weapon was me. Her secret weapon was me. My daughter won because she knew she had a secret weapon. She could go. She was laughing in the face of her enemies. Right? She was defiant in the face of the threat. Even though she was outnumbered, outmanned, like, she was defiant and joyous in the face of the threat because she knew I was on her side. And even though they couldn't see me, she trusted and knew that I was there. God is David's secret weapon. Goliath here, he is closing in going, you've got nothing. And David's going, I've got a secret weapon. And Goliath's going, you got nothing in your hand, but you're Dennis the Menace slingshot. And David's going, I've got a secret weapon. And Goliath's going, I'm going to feed your whatever, flesh to the beasts of the field, birds in the air. And David's going, no, you're not, because I've got a secret weapon. God is the one who fights for me, and he will take you down today. David's secret weapon is God. And the reality is you and I, we have the same secret weapon that God is a God who fights for you. And this is the greatest secret to taking courage today. The greatest way that you and I, that we can take courage is by looking to the God who loves you, who knows you, who is with you, who fights for you, who is on your side. Now, here's the thing. Having this kind of courage, it doesn't mean that your problems aren't big. It just means that your God is bigger, right? The real giant in this story is God. The real giant, God is bigger than Goliath. He is a bigger giant on the scene than Goliath. And man, no one else can see this but David. David, even his own people and all the people, they don't see this, but David sees this. It reminds me in 2 Kings 16 where they're, they're surrounded by enemies, Elisha and his servant, and, and, and Elisha and the servant's going, man, we're scared. We're going to get our tails kicked. There's nothing we can do. And Elisha's going, what are you talking about? We're fine. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, there are more with us than there are with him. And his eyes get open to see the, the God of angel armies and the host, the mighty host that surrounds them. And sure enough, God arises to defend and protect. We see this throughout the biblical story. God is bigger than whatever is coming against you, right? God is the real giant in this story, and that means that we can take courage. Your heavenly father is bigger than the bullies on the playground. And even if they can't see him, he's, he's behind them. He's sneaking up. He's coming out. He, he is on your side. The way that we take courage is we remember God's faithfulness in the past, and we look up to God in the present. He is our secret weapon. And with him, we can take confidence moving forward into our future. All right, well, how's this battle play out? David takes courage, but what's the outcome? 
We read in verse 48, it says, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, crack, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Catch that, no sword in his hand. Then David ran, and he stood over the Philistine, and he took out his sword. He grabs Goliath, the enemy's sword, and he drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, back all the way to his hometown, right? Goliath's hometown. So that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in a tent. God can make the courageous underdog an unexpected champion. David here is an unexpected champion. As he steps out, he's got courage, but he's the underdog. You can imagine everyone looking going, oh my gosh, he's toast. He's about to get wiped, right? And as he steps out, you know, it's interesting. Malcolm Gladwell, if you're familiar, kind of famous author, and um, he, he had a book that came out some years back called David and Goliath. And I like Gladwell's stuff and all, but kind of one of the premise in this book was like, actually, David had the advantage because he's got the sling and the stone. He's usually, he's got all this stuff. And it's an interesting thesis in general with the underdogs, but Gladwell is wrong there when it comes to what this story is trying to communicate. What it is not saying is David really had the, the, the shotgun with the bullet, right? Like what it's saying is that David had no shot in the eye of everyone around looking. He had no sword. He had none of the stuff they expected, but he had God on his side and God won the battle for him. He was the courageous underdog, but God made him an unexpected champion. Not because of his own strength, not because of his own ingenuity, not because of his own thing, but God made him an unexpected champion. And similarly, I think it's, worth asking, where are we in the story? Where are you and I? I think there are some I've heard say, you know, like, you are not David. You are, you know, you are not David in the story. But the reality is, you are, or at least you're supposed to be. If we are in Christ, we are supposed to be like David in the story. Israel saw the story, and they saw David as who they were called to be, courageous and bold in the face of the enemy as they went into the promised land. Whereas we're supposed to be like David, but often we are not. When we really get honest, when I really get honest, and we look at this, I think we can often find ourselves more like the soldiers who are fleeing the scene, right? That we see the size and scope of the problem, we can feel dismayed and afraid, and we're backing away. And God wants to tell you this morning, no, take courage. I am with you. I am for you. I am bigger than the enemies that you are facing. I am the Lord of the battle, and I will ultimately determine and accomplish the victory. If you this morning are a soldier who finds yourself fleeing and dismayed and afraid, God is calling you this morning. Jesus is calling you to take up your courage and follow him, our champion. Others of us, though, at times there may be some of us here who are more like Goliath, which is not saying like you're super tall or whatever, but saying that if you have made yourself an enemy to God and his purposes, 
Dude, if you're here, I'm stoked you're here at church on Sunday, but there are some of us who could be here and actually be at a spot where we're going, God, I'm not even on your side. I'm not even God on your team, so to speak. I'm not even aligned with you and your kingdom and your ways. I'm kind of here scoping things out, but really I've spoken mocking, boastful words against the God of the universe. I, you might be trying to live your life on your own terms and as your own self. And God is saying this morning, switch sides, right? Like you can actually convert your allegiance from the team of the serpent to the team of the king who crushes the head of the serpent when the story's done, right? You can turn your allegiance from living for yourself to King Jesus and his glorious kingdom because the reality is there is a day right now where you can live life on your own terms, but the day is coming where God's kingdom will be established in fullness on the earth. And there is no other kingdom that has the last word. I think for others of us this morning, you might be at a spot where you're going, man, I have tried to pick up my courage and I was heading out towards the battlefield, but then I ran into my Eliab, your older brother. Right? And before you get to your Goliath, you've got to get through your older brother. You've got to get through those close to you who have spoken words into your life that have sapped your courage, that have made you falter in your trust before God and what he might be calling you to, that whatever thing you have in your life that God is calling you to step boldly towards and to take courage for, there are those words that have been spoken to you that are holding you back. And Jesus is saying this morning, are you going to trust what they said about you or what I say about you? Are you going to let them determine your reality? Or are you going to let me determine your reality? The call to take up our courage is the call to trust the voice of Christ, our captain, who goes before us and calls and speaks that faith into us. And for some of us, we've forgotten our secret weapon. We'd be at a spot where we're going, man, I, I don't know that God is around anymore. I'm looking up and Goliath is all I can see. I can't see God. And what we are being invited to do is to know like, no, you are loved by God. God is with you. God is for you. God goes before you. God fights the battles. God has already gone all the way to the cross to conquer our greatest battle. And which brings us to David. I do believe the call is to be like David in this morning. We are called to take up our courage and to go boldly before the enemy. But the reality is even David wasn't David. We're going to keep reading the story in the weeks to come in the series. And we're going to see that even David, in the days to come, he lost his courage at times. He messed things up. He set his own house on fire and his own children and the family of Israel, the children of God, were at risk of destruction. And though we have all been called to be like David, none of us have actually been, not even David was David. And so where is our hope in a world where we all have lost courage to do the right thing and to be who God has called us to be? And the good news is that there is another, a son of David, a son of Jesse who came, Jesus, and he went boldly towards Golgotha. And as Jesus went towards the cross, he went to take on the power of the serpent who boasted and mocked and threatened and had all God's people cowered in fear. He went down to take down the, Goli the giant, the Goliath of death and hell and the grave and to conquer it on our behalf. And as he was moving, he looked unexpected. He was an unexpected hero. People looked at him and they were going, man, that's, he, he looked like the shepherd just going out with the sling. Like he's got no weapons. He's unarmed. He's got no sword. 
He looked like that pizza delivery boy rushing into the heart of the house of a world on fire to rescue us as children of God. And yet as he did, he took hold of those nails like stones and five piercings in both of his hands and both of his feet and in his side. He actually conquered the enemy. And one of my favorite parts when I was reading the stories was just the, the phrase, David had no sword. Jesus went with no sword. The cross was the enemy's sword. The cross was the tool that the Satan, the servant, the enemy was gonna try and use to crush Jesus and take him down forever. And yet Jesus took up the sword of the cross and actually used it to crush the enemy. He atoned for our sin. He reconciled us to God and he rose victorious. And now I think a better question than where are we at in the story is when are we at in the story? Because the reality is you and I live after our Goliath has been defeated. This is the moment where the soldiers go rushing onto the field after the call of Christ, our captain, who has gone before and taken down our greatest enemy. And we can take courage because the courageous one, Christ, has gone before us. He has conquered our greatest enemy, and now we get to storm the field and live in the aftermath, the raucous celebration of just chasing after, living into the victory that he has won and accomplished. So as we come to the table this morning, as we come to communion, we come to the bread and we come to the wine, a sign of Christ's body given for us and his blood shed for us. This is a sign of where our Goliath was defeated by Christ, our courageous captain. And so as you come this morning, I wanna invite you to come in a posture of gratitude and worship to Jesus, our champion, our unexpected champion. And as you receive the elements, I wanna invite you to receive his courage poured into you his words spoken to you, his call on your life, that we would actually live boldly into his victory. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, you are the courageous one who did not shy away from the world on fire, who did not say it's not my problem, God. Rather, you saw the giant, the Goliath of death and the serpent God whose power was wielded over us. You saw us cowering in fear and you moved towards the problem, Lord. You took up your courage and you took on the cross and you took down that which threatened and terrorized us as your people. So God, we wanna rejoice in your victory this morning and we wanna live in the aftermath of your victory, God, with a bold courage, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray this morning for any who have been fleeing from what they have called, you've called them to who have felt scared by their circumstances this morning, Lord, would you pour your courage into them to move forward? I wanna pray for those, God, who have felt the words spoken by those close to them, Lord, that have shaken their confidence in you. Jesus, I ask that you would give them the strength, the power to, to turn away from those and turn towards those who would speak faith into their life rather than fear. Jesus, I pray for those who have forgotten that they have a secret weapon, God, where it feels like Goliath is all they can see, the bigness of the obstacle in front of them, Lord. God, we look to you this morning. We declare you have been faithful in our past. You will be faithful in our future, God. And so God, make us a courageous people, a bold people, because you are our courageous one who has gone before us, and now we can live in light of your victory, God. 
pray all these things, Jesus, in your mighty and glorious name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning or someone to pray with, I would invite you. There are going to be prayer people at the doors who would love to pray with you. And we want to respond now to time of worship and singing to Christ, our champions. Would you please rise and let's join our voices in worship.